0: For so many of us, our day-to-day is filled with feelings of bondage, of being stuck. For some of us, it is being stuck with internal struggles, fears, even addictions that hold us tightly. For others of us, it is being stuck in a set of rules we dare not break, fearing what others and God will think of us if we are fully known. But what if there is more for us? What if there is freedom? All right, if you got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it to the book of Galatians. We're, technically, we're doing the last two verses, but truth be told, we're going to be all over the place, so if you don't have a Bible with you, um, you can either grab one from the back or uh, pull one up on your device. Or you can just watch the screen, because all the the verses we're going to be covering are going to be up there. We have spent um, the the last nine months working through this letter, so it seems appropriate now uh, to kind of review what we've seen. This is is our last sermon in Galatians. Next week, we begin a a series called Inconvenient Truths, uh, which is a little more topical. We're going to be dealing with some, well, inconvenient truths. Some things that the Bible says that we don't like. Why it says it. Uh, what it means for us, uh, how that should position us with our friends and neighbors, things like that, but uh, that 's next week this week let's let 's review what we 've seen okay so we know that this this letter Galatians, was written by this dude named Paul, and uh, Paul tells his story in this letter that he was once a violent persecutor of Christians okay that not only was he not a Christian but that he uh, entered a part of his life where he saw his purpose to to bo- to either arrest or kill or maybe arrest and then kill the Christians he found like that was his point you think your life's a mess like that was that was who paul was but he had an encounter with the risen jesus and he went from menace to missionary he did so all by grace And as he was on his missionary little journeys, he planted all these churches in what is now southern Turkey, right? That's what Galatia is. It's a Roman province in southern Turkey. He planted these churches among a bunch of people who had, A, never heard of Jesus before, B, never even heard of the God of the Bible before. Like, that was all new to them. But he proclaimed the Christian gospel that though we've betrayed God, that by grace we we can be reconciled to him. And all these churches sprang up. And so after Paul moved on from these... He moved on to plant other churches. These other dudes came in, these other teachers. Paul calls them false teachers, and they began saying something a little different. They began saying that Paul was a little mistaken, right? Just incomplete. To be reconciled to God, you need to keep God's rules. I mean, Jesus is all well and good, but you also need these laws, these rituals, these, um, these things that you do. And so Paul writes this letter, what, what we call an epistle, to change that. By saying that salvation is by grace, or it is nothing at all. So if you have your place in Galatians 6, we're going to read these last two verses. If you'd stand in honor of that, and then we're going, to, we're going to jump around. So hear God's word as we close out this epistle. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. God's word given so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come into this time, we ask uh, that you would open our hearts, that you would move in our hearts, that we would uh, have eyes to see you, ears to hear you, hearts to receive you. As we try and and, and make much of grace, Lord, we, we pray that you would let us experience that grace for our good, for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. So, I wondered, uh, as I was looking over this passage, how exactly to draw to a close this series. Like, there's part of me that would have really liked, you know, our, our tradition is really big on preaching. Uh, but I, it would have been really fun, I think, to, to have spent some of the service hearing how, uh, how you, different people within the congregation, have, have been shaped by uh, this, this series as we've gone through Galatians like how what you've experienced how, how the how the grace of God has worked, but like I said we're big on preaching, so here we are uh, but but I found a clue in how to wrap this up and how Paul ends this whole thing in these last two verses in verse seventeen he plays up this ironic twist right because the the false teachers that have come into Galatia want the Galatians to mark their body right quote unquote they want, they want a mark on that body, and Paul says, Let no one else trouble me because I bear on my body the mark." marks of Jesus and by that he he literally means uh, his life his very body is marked by the life of Jesus he's been beaten he's been stoned he's got scars from it and then he declares grace upon the Galatians grace that's really what this entire epistle has been about God's grace the nature of it the extent of it the results of it so as Paul declares grace upon our souls we're going to look at grace and we're going to do it in two ways. We're going to look at what it is and what it does. What grace is and what grace does. Okay? Now, like I said, we're going to be walking through this letter. So you can either flip around in your Bibles if that's helpful, especially if you're like a big note taker, you're probably going to want to do that. Or you can just follow around uh, up on the screen because that's going to be coming. So, but let's, let's begin by seeing what grace is and seeing that God, the grace of God is free yet costly. And for this, we go back to chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul says this, Grace and peace to you from God. Now, Stop there. Saying that grace is free should be like a, like a duh, because of the very definition of the word. But we don't generally know what the definition is. Our culture's a little confused on it. We're confused on it. My wife and I watch uh, this TV show called Once Upon a Time, which is a little corny, uh, but it, it takes the, the stories of Disney. It it updates them, br- brings the, these characters forward, makes them actual people, and not just fairy tales, because in fairy tales, no one's actually real. But, and then they go through real-life situations. Anyway, a little corny. I, was called, I, I called it hokey in the first service, and, and Rebecca Evans told me I'm not allowed to use that word in a negative context ever again. Sorry. Man, I went to JMU, you know? Dookie has a different context in my life than for most of you, but for, uh, I, I can't use hokey. Anyway, uh, so it's corny, but... Here's the, here's the point. Over the course of this past season, the season that we're going through right now, several characters, different characters have used this kind of language. I hope to be able to earn redemption. I hope that I can somehow work towards grace. Earn grace. And that's our default posture, right? We think that if we're going to get anything good from God, anything good from life, it's going to be because we do something, we work for it, we earn it, we pay our dues. But friends, that's not grace. By its very definition, grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is the favor of God, but it is purely unmerited. You cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. You cannot do anything to get it doesn't stem from something we do you you and I are broken friends we have betrayed God according to the Bible the story of the Bible we are stuck in that state such that the stuff we do that we think is good we think I'm doing good stuff I'm helping people I'm loving people God says even even that stuff is tainted by by our sin by our brokenness such that that as, as before God according to the the book of Isaiah it looks like filthy rags And so there is nothing we can earn before God except judgment. But God's grace is free. And we're starting with this, this idea of God's grace being free, because it is the basis of the gospel. You and I are objects of God's wrath by nature, okay? And we are that because back in the beginning, humanity believed that God didn't love us, didn't want our good, was using us that we can and should be independent from him, and so, and so we betrayed him. But God, the offended party, God, the offended person, not an idea, but a person, determined that he would deal with his betrayers with grace. And so, listen to me. If you're here this morning trying to make it up to God, and you think that coming in here, being in worship, like, I'll just go and I'll sit And I'll do my thing. I'll I'll show God how much I can make it up to him by getting out of bed on Sunday morning. Good for you. You can't make it up to him. And we've seen this over and over again in this epistle. Trying to make things up to God actually just exacerbates the problem. It makes the problem worse. So God's grace is just that. It is unmerited. You can't do anything to get it. It's free. But it's also costly. Okay. Keep reading there in, in Galatians 1. He says... Grace to you and peace from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. You see, God's grace is free to us, but it is not free to him. God's grace is free to us, but it is very costly to him, and forgiveness always is. And you know this because of your own lives, right? Uh, like, we, we and if you're, a, if you're a student here this morning, if, you know, and you're in school, first of all, I just want to let you know that I've been, I've been praying for you because I know you've got tests and exams coming up. It's the end of the school year, and you're done. Uh, and, and you just, you want to just, can I just have a morning where I don't have to get up? I get it. I'm praying for you. But you, you especially know how this is because friends turn on each other, especially in those, in those teen years. We betray each other. We turn away from each other, and someone has to bear the weight of it. All other world religions, all other philosophical systems will tell you, you have to do that. And they set up this line of, here's what you need to do to bear those things. You deal with your guilt, and you deal with it either through penance. I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to make it up by doing penance. Or or through karma, you know. Eventually, I'm just going to get reborn as an ant, and that'll make up for it. Or through charity, like I'll do charity, or through cleansing, right? But Christianity doesn't say that. And it doesn't say that by... One, not denying the offense. I mean, listen, like, I think at the end of the day, Christianity is probably more honest about the offense than others are. You and I have messed it up. And we've messed it up bad. Christianity doesn't deny the offense. It just declares that we aren't the ones to bear the cost. God does that. And he does it in Jesus. Friends, that's what the cross is all about. And we've had this way of talking about it, I think, not just in this series, but I've pushed it a lot in this series that I hope has begun to make its way into your your hearts, your souls, the way you talk about things. That forgiveness, the definition of forgiveness, is when the betrayed one bears the weight of the betrayal for the betrayer. The betrayed person bearing the weight of the betrayal for the betrayer. Now, justice is the betrayer bearing that weight. Right? And we know that. We have an entire justice system established on that. But forgiveness, forgiveness is when the betrayed one is doing it. And that's what happened on the cross. God became flesh in Jesus so that he could bear the weight of our betrayal. He could bear God's wrath for our sin in our place. God's grace is costly, but you and I do not bear that cost. Jesus does. And that is the gospel. You didn't do anything to earn it. Jesus did. Ours is simply to receive it. And that's what this letter has pushed on us. It isn't our religiosity or our morality or our tolerance or our love that gets God's grace. God extends it to us. Even though we don't deserve it because Jesus took the wrath that we did deserve. God extends to us the grace that we don't deserve because Jesus took the wrath that we did so grace is free, yet costly. It's also adoptive, yet exclusive. Galatians 4.4 4 says this, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of sons. Here's what this means. God's grace is not just tolerance. Tolerance is the idea that we kind of just live and let live. Uh, we kind of just... Let someone be. For God to tolerate us would mean begrudgingly laying aside his right to justice, but then being distant from us, leaving us alone. But here's the thing. Because we were made for relationship with God, made for dependence on him, if God were to leave us alone, that is judgment. That's hell. God removing himself from his benevolent presence from us, that is judgment. God's grace isn't like that. It is adoptive. It takes enemies, and it makes them family. See, we weren't made for isolation from God. We were created to be in an intimate, dependent relationship, but we broke that. And now we don't want that naturally. We want to be as far away from God as possible, because we don't think that he can be trusted. We don't think that we need him. And God's work in Jesus was not just to get us out of hell. It does that, certainly. We don't need to argue about that. God's grace does get us out of hell, but it's also to restore, to reconcile us to himself. And so because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we aren't just forgiven or beloved. We aren't just acquitted or made into children. So it's adoptive, but it's also exclusive. Galatians 5, verses 3 and 4 says this, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision. He is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So, God's grace isn't just judicial. It's, it's also relational. We were made for relationship with God. I've said that a couple times, over and over again, right? We need to keep hearing that. But God's grace isn't meant to... Res- God's grace is meant to restore us to him. Not to give us the ability to go further from him, right? So, Paul's entire point in this letter has been, Jesus plus anything, equals nothing, right? Jesus plus anything, religiosity, moralism, ritual, whatever, equals nothing. But, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. God's grace in Jesus is greater than all of our sin, greater than all of our shame, great enough to meet all of our need, but it is grace in Jesus. It is found in Jesus. If you place your trust in your morality in your rule-keeping, in your, in your cultural expressions of goodness, you will be lost. In the same way, if you refuse to trust in Jesus because you think you either don't need what he provides or don't like his exclusive claims, realize that the entire book of Galatians has been telling you that you are apart from grace. You're going to look to something to make you right before God. All of us do. We all look to something to make us right, whether that that something is your performance, your social status, your intellect, whatever. The question is not if you will put your trust in something. The question is where. And if it is anywhere other than Jesus, then you are denying God's grace and saying you don't need it. And you are standing on your own. God's grace is adoptive, but it is exclusive. It is found in Jesus alone. Now, the last thing about what grace is, it is individual yet communal. Galatians 1, verses 15 and 16. Paul's telling his story of how he came to be a Christian. And he says, but when he, that's God, who set me apart from before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now stop there. The other thing that we're taught in this book about grace is that gra- God's grace is not a blanket. I mean, there is a kind of grace that's a blanket. It's called common grace. But when we're talking about saving grace, special grace, uh, we're talking about something that's not a blanket It has targets. God's grace has targets. Now, I said earlier, we're stuck in our sin. Paul will say in another letter that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people don't have hope, right? You don't go to a funeral, see someone dead in a casket, and think, Oh, I hope they can get up. Like, they're dead. They can't move. Their their life is over, right? And if that's us in our sins, what makes the difference? Paul will say it's God's grace working in our lives. If you're a Christian here this morning, my guess is that most of us in this room are, but if you're a Christian in, here in this room this morning, it is not because you are smarter than your non-Christian friends or more moral or somehow get it when they don't, as if, like, both of you heard the message and, and you went, yeah, okay, I understand that. I'm going with that. And they're like, uh Like, y- you have nothing to stand on there. If you are a Christian here this morning, it is, it is not those things at all. It's because the grace of God got you. So Paul says it here, God called Paul by his grace. So what does this mean? Again, on the other side of things, it means if you're a Christian here this morning, it isn't a mistake. It's not a mistake. It's not as if uh, you kind of slipped in under the radar and now God's stuck with you. Like, he turns around one day and he's like, how did that dude get in? Oh well, I mean, I guess I'm stuck with him now. Like, that's not the way it works. You are a Christian because God's grace is powerful. Jesus didn't just make salvation possible for you. Jesus actually saved you. He Saved you. God works in the lives of individuals to rescue individuals. But it's also communal. Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14 says this. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God saves individuals. He rescues Individuals. And he applies his grace to individuals, but he doesn't do so purely for them. You and I were meant not just to be recipients of God's grace, but conduits for it. We're not just meant to be a recipient of God's grace, but a conduit for it. See, in this this book, Paul tells the story of this guy from the Old Testament named Abraham. And Abraham was was this guy who was worshipping false gods in the city of Ur, which is in Iraq. Or at least where the city used to be is in Iraq. And, God, and, and and he encounters God. God sets him apart to be the one through whom he would rescue humanity. So God meets this individual, rescues this individual, and then tells them that because he has received his blessing, he has received his grace, he will be a blessing to the world. God's grace is to be spread through those who receive it. And this is because God's grace in Jesus restores us to what we were meant to be. Those who love God and love others and not just looking out for ourselves. We are to use God's grace to serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what grace is. Okay, It's free, yet costly. It's adoptive, yet exclusive. It's individual, but communal. Now let's look at what it does. First, it comforts, yet it offends. Galatians 3, verses 7 and 9, which is up there, or will be in a second. What Paul is saying in this passage isn't that Uh, ...is that it isn't through working hard... ...isn't through meeting a standard... ...or isn't through being born into the right family... ...that makes us right with God. Right? Instead, it is by faith in Jesus. The fact that He worked hard... ...the fact that He met the standard... ...and that He was born into the right family. That's the reason that we are right with God. And so in this way, God's grace is meant to comfort us... ...because it ultimately isn't about us, but Jesus. And for some of us in that room, that's crazy talk... ...because we know our lives... We look at our lives and we think, there's no way God can accept me. We've hurt people or are hurting people. We've misused our sexuality or are are misusing our sexuality. Some of us, we've got a rap sheet, right? So what I would say to all of that is this. uh, Join the club. Right? Me too. I've used people. I've misused my sexuality through years of Pornography addiction. I've, and and though I, quite frankly, I've never gotten caught, I should have. I should have a rap sheet. I should, felony theft. Done plenty of it in my younger days. I should have gotten caught, I didn't. If you could earn your way to God, somehow earn God's grace, then you would get all the kudos, but you can't and you won't. He's the one who gets the praise. Because of course you're not savable. Of course you're not. Look at what I've done. Of course. That's the whole point. He gets the, gra- the praise because his grace is free. He isn't asking you to clean yourself up any more than he's asking me to. We aren't rescued by our work, but through faith alone in Jesus. And this is how it comforts. It comes to us and it tells us, it doesn't matter what you've done. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. But because of that, it also offends. Galatians 5, verse 11, Paul says, If I'm still preaching circumcision, that is religious practice, then the offense of the cross has been removed. Listen. The reason that God's grace is so offensive to us is because we can't do anything to earn it. Which means it doesn't matter if you're really good or really bad. You're in the same boat. It's offensive. Because some of us here think our lives look pretty good. We're doing pretty well. But friends, you're not saved by doing pretty well. You're saved by perfection. A perfection that is imputed to you by grace. So your problem isn't that you aren't good enough. If it was, maybe you could try and do better. Your problem is that you are independent. You need rescue. I'm sure your life looks pretty. I'm sure it looks pretty good. I'm sure you've been moral. You've done the right things. You've been accepting of people. But before God, it's worthless. You don't need your record. You need grace. God offers it to you freely in Jesus. So it comforts, but it offends. It also respects no actions, yet it transforms. Uh, in Galatians 5, 6, in chapter 6, verse 15, Paul says these things, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything. And in the letter says, same thing. This is what counts as a new creation. All right, now, I know that if you're just jumping in, you're like, why are we talking about that in church? I, I get that. But here's the thing. In first century Judaism, and these guys that were coming in, these false teachers, circumcision is purely, it's, it's a religious ritual. Okay? What they were saying is that you have to do this, this religious observance, to be right with God. So probably a better way to more contextualize it for us is to say religion or irreligion doesn't matter. Being religious or being irreligious doesn't matter. What matters is a new creation. And so on the one hand, this means that apart from Jesus, your actions do not make you more or less pleasing to God. Now I know that's craziest for us to believe, right? Right? We can't imagine that. What, what I don't mean, though, is that God doesn't see some things as good and some things as bad. As if, like, God doesn't see the difference between Hitler and that little old lady that made you cookies when you were growing, as you were growing up, right? Like, God is not blind. What I, what I am saying is that Paul is telling us that you can be very religious and very lost. You can be very religious and very lost. Our issue isn't that we aren't religious that we aren't moral, that we aren't good. Friends, we need grace. Examples. Paul, the man who wrote this letter, was rescued by Jesus on the road to a city where he was looking to arrest and or kill Christians. Jesus rescued him. One of Paul's first converts was a woman named Lydia. Lydia was rescued in a worship service down by the river. One was saved in a very irreligious context. And what we would say, like he's about to go do violence to others. One in a very religious one. God's grace didn't differentiate because one was doing more religious things. Both were lost. Both needed Jesus. So it means you can't be more worthy of God's grace than someone else. It respects no actions. But it also transforms, right? We looked at that in uh, these, these works of the flesh... And then later in the, in, the, in the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, we looked at those that God's grace actually does transform us. That we are to turn away from doing certain kinds of things towards doing other things. You, maybe you remember that. God's grace comes into our lives and rescues us and then begins forming us inevitably into the, the image of Jesus. It makes us more and more like Him. But again, it's by grace. You aren't Rescued, justified, made right before God by grace, and then work really hard to become holy. No, no. The fruit is of the Spirit, not of your hard work. We are rescued by grace. We are sanctified. We are made more like Jesus by grace. And we aren't changed so that we can get God's grace. We are changed because we have gotten it. And so, God's grace comforts, yet offends. It respects no actions, yet it transforms. Finally, it invites, yet it propels. Galatians 2, 11 to 14. Paul's telling the story in Galatians chapter 2 of um, a discussion, maybe a fervent discussion he had with the Apostle Peter. Maybe you remember this. Jason preached on this. Where, where Peter, you know, like Jesus boy, like the G- G- Peter was like his dude, the guy that he hung out with the most. Peter had gotten the gospel of grace and he had come and he hung out with Gentiles and they were all having a good time. And then these other guys, these folks from a Jewish heritage came in and Peter, because he was afraid of them, began separating himself from, from these, these, uh, Greek speaking or, or Gentile Christians and just hanging out with the Jews. And Paul gets in his face and he tells him, you are not living in line with the gospel. Here's why. If God rescues people purely by grace, then there is no difference between me and you in his eyes. We both need grace. If you're a Christian, we both received grace. God's grace then calls us together to be recipients of it. It invites us into a new community. And it invites us into that new community where all those things we used to stake our value on, whether those things... And and when I say stake our value on, when when we do that as humans, what we do is we put our value in something that we can then differentiate between us and others, right? And so we do that with things like gender, right? God likes me more because I'm male. Or we do it because of our uh, race. I'm right with God because I'm white, Right or, or we do it because of our, our education level. The more letters I have, to have after my name, the more God must love me. Or, um, or our socioeconomic status. Doesn't it show that God loves me? Look at all my money. Maybe it's your athletic ability. Whatever it is, Paul is saying that in this new community that God's grace creates, those things no longer define us. Our identity. All of us is now in Jesus. And friends, this is the basis for reconciliation. You hear that word so much in our culture today. The culture is looking for a basis. How can we be reconciled as people? How do we do all this? They can't find one. That's why we keep having these struggles in, in these cities and we don't know what to do with all the, the basis is found in the church. The church has what everyone else is looking for. An identity that we can share, no matter the color of our skin, our gender, our, our economic status, no matter what, We are all in Jesus, receivers of grace of Jesus. It's found in the fact that none of those other things are ultimate for us anymore. We are all in Jesus, rescued by Jesus, valued by God in Jesus. So it invites us in, but it also propels us out. Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14, Paul says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Here it is. God's grace is meant to propel us outward. It's meant to propel us outward. If you fully grasp God's grace, that you didn't earn it, because you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. That it's all about what Jesus did, not about what you do. How undeserving you are of it, and yet how delighted God is to give it then you will be propelled outward to see that grace spread because you have neighbors and friends and family and coworkers who are not experiencing that and if god can rescue you by that grace he can rescue anybody this is what we are to do with the gospel of grace when you look around you and you know that no matter what they've done even if what they've done is to you that those people and look i don't care if you don't know them <laughs> right now. But if you look around and there's someone in your life, you go, uh, you, you can look at them and you can say, no matter what they've done, even if what they've done is to you, you know that they are no further from God than you are. Or you were before his grace came to you. Then you can tell them of that grace. Or you can invite them in here. They'll hear of it here. And you can do that knowing that God can just as easily transform them by that grace as he did you. That is the grace that is spoken of in this book. What is it? It's free, but it's costly. Free to us, costly to God. It's adoptive but exclusive. It it calls us beloved, but it's only found in Jesus. It's individual yet communal. It 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 comes to rescue us. It has a target on us individuals, but it also draws us into a community to love one another. What does it do? It comforts us, yet it also offends us. It doesn't respect our actions, but it does transform us. And it invites us in and sends us out. Friends, grace does all that because that's what God does. That's the God of grace. A God who loves freely. A God who adopts. A God who loves us as individuals and as a community. A God who wants to comfort us and, yes, wants to offend our sensibilities. Who, who doesn't respect our actions but wants us to transform us. It is the God of grace who shows us that grace. Because he is all these things and more. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to the end of this book and the end of this series in Galatians that we've called Freedom, I pray that you would continue to work in this church to create a people of freedom. And that, Lord, as you work and as you uh, transform us, that, Lord, uh, we would be a people who aren't just identified by that freedom, but then seek to see others brought into it. You are good. And we give you all praise knowing that in, uh, in Jesus is found all the wealth of grace that we need. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.